Hello, hello. We are back. It's happening. It's me, Lauren Mitchell, your host of this podcast, Cavern of Secrets, which you are currently listening to. loving (laughs) and you've loved every other 11 episodes up until this point that's my hope and my dream recently I have been having a lot of anxiety around dying I think I'm just gonna like drop dead in like the streets uh, or while I'm sleeping or you know laying on my couch watching tv it's weird it's like a weird anxiety to have I don't actually think it has anything to do with age, I think it has everything to do with superstition. Which is kind of weird because if you just like asked me, I would probably tell you that I'm not a very superstitious person, but you probably have all had this happen to you where like a couple good things happen to you and then someone says, well, good things happen in threes. With the subtext of like, well, bitch, bad things happen in threes too, so get ready because you're about to get what's coming to you. Which is like really and truly a fucking terrible way to exist in this world. To think that every good thing needs to be weighed out with a bad thing. Like what? No, no. (laughs) It was crazy because like it was my birthday recently and then a couple other good things happened to me and then I was going on this trip with my sister and I was just like, oh, well, we're just gonna get in a plane crash. And here I am, I was in Florida, I didn't even get like bit by like a fucking weird huge bug or like a snake or whatever. I'm still here. I'm very like peripherally interested in and understand astrology, which is to say I like know about my own sign and that's it. And like I read my horoscope around the time of my birthday And I'm a Taurus, and it said, this year is the best year for you in, like, a decade. In a decade! Which is crazy, because, like, 2016 has, like, has me shook. Do you know what I mean? Like, some crazy shit has happened this year to people that I love. I've been to too many funerals this year. Again, the, like, cosmic weighing out, like, oh, the first amazing year in a decade for you, Taurus woman. But then everyone else in your life, like, has to suffer because your horoscope said you were going to have a good year. Why do I think that I deserve something bad coming my way? I don't know. I think that's the other thing, is it's hard when, like, bad shit is happening to people that you know and love, and you're like, oh, I have this stuff to celebrate. It's like an overwhelming feeling of guilt, right? Like, it's like a guilty feeling when something good happens to you. Like, that I didn't deserve it, or that it came out of nowhere, or that someone's just, like, mistaken in, like... Like, this podcast feels like I feel guilty about, like, any of you listening to this. Do you know what I mean? Like, why? (laughs) You know? 
maybe that maybe that anxiety is rooted in something way bigger than superstition. Maybe I should go to therapy instead of um, yelling at you guys about my anxieties. I think it's easy to blame it on superstition, but that's kind of it. And then it's just easy to like have that. I don't think I'm the first person to feel guilty when good things happen to me. But it feels good to talk about it. So thanks for listening. <laughs> Our guest on this episode is a brilliant young woman. Her name is Yaa Gyasi. She just wrote a book called Homegoing. It's out now. You can buy it. I highly fucking suggest you go out immediately and buy and read this book. It was a like life-changing piece of fiction for me. So... I literally have been trying to make everyone I know read it. It just came out. So get thee to your local bookstore and uh, change your life. So this episode was recorded a little bit differently. I spoke to Ya when she was here in Toronto back in February. She was here to meet with her Canadian publisher, uh, talk to me, I guess. I don't know. You're going to read this book and be like, holy shit, what have I done with my life? This woman just wrote a masterpiece. She's 26. It's the first book she ever wrote. It's incredible. And she told me, I don't know uh, if Unchman kept this in the interview, but she told me after I said, oh, you must be on a publicity juggernaut. And she said, no, you're the second person I've talked to from the media. So she was so sweet and so cool like, you're going to see big fucking things from this girl. Big, big, big things. Phenomenal. Phenomenal writer. Wonderful woman. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. And I know with all of my heart that you are going to enjoy the hell out of home going when you read it. For sure. For sure. For sure. Okay. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Fucking strap in. Enjoy. How are you? How's your day been? I'm good. My day's been really good. We um, just finished doing a media lunch upstairs, which was nerve-wracking, but yeah. but nice, yeah. I am 50 pages in, and it's fucking incredible, oh, dude. Oh, thank you. Honestly, I know I'm only 50 pages in, but, like, really, really, really good. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah. Like, one of those books that I've, like, almost missed streetcar and, like, transit stops, because <laughs> I'm, like... Yeah. Which I love. I mean, yeah. I'm a, I've always been a voracious reader, but. Nice. Are you feeling, is it crazy to have, I mean, I've clearly never written a book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it crazy to have to go through the like whole, like publishing rigmarole? Yeah, it's, it's insane. I think like most writers, I'm kind of, you know, just this shy, like introverted person who spent a long time on her computer. And now like, you know, the book is having its public life, which is which is new for me. And um, it's been great, though. Everybody has been really enthusiastic and, and the support has been awesome. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like this is probably the best case scenario for how you want your book to come out. Yeah. Um, yeah. The life of a book is crazy. Yeah. Like I worked at an agent, like I worked for an agent. Right. And then I worked for a publisher. Right. And so I sort of saw the process. Mm -hmm. And it's like... How you go from 
the slush pile of someone. You know what I mean? How you go from just, like, a manuscript sitting on the floor somewhere to being, like, coming to Toronto to do a media lunch is, like... Yeah, it's totally surreal. I think there's no way to really prepare for it. I mean, before this all happened, I had no idea even how a book got off of your computer and out, (laughs) you know? So so this is all, like, me learning as I go. Um, But, yeah, very surreal. I think that's the right word for it. How long were you sitting on your manuscript before? Um, I I had been working on it for about seven years. Wow. Um, yeah, I started in 2009, and I got my agent in 2015, and wow. it all moved from there. Um, wow. And yeah. you're, you're young. You're like 25, right? I'm 26, yeah. 26. You're like, yeah. 26, come on. <laughs> yeah. Damn, so you started writing a novel when you were 19? Yeah, yeah. The The summer that I turned 20 was, was the beginning of that, this novel. That's wild. Yeah. Did you go to school for writing? Did you go to like yeah. a degree in creative writing? My bachelor's is in English with a creative writing emphasis from Stanford, which is how the novel started was at Stanford. I got a fellowship to travel to Ghana and do research cool. for, for this book. And so I I kind of, you know messed around and felt like I wasn't really like getting it and a friend was coming to visit me in Ghana and he was like have you ever seen the Cape Coast Castle and I was like no Um, and so we went to see the castle which is kind of where the idea for the book began Um, and then I didn't really didn't really get a chance to work on it too intensely I probably wrote about 100 pages for the rest of college I took a year off between college and grad school and then I went to the Iowa Writers Workshop mm-hmm. um, in 2012 graduated in 2014 and that's where I, I really got a chance to to really dig in and make this something cool mm-hmm. and how different is the book as a finished product than it was sort of like in your mind when yeah. that inspiration sort of showed up It's pretty different because I think the hardest part was getting the structure down. And this book is structured um, kind of, I've been saying it's structured like a fishtail braid, which these two, these two strands and you get one person and then you get her descendant and then you get the next person's descendant and the next person's and the next person's. Um, And that was really the the toughest part of the of the process for me was figuring out what the structure was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Initially, when I went to the castle in 2009, I thought it would just take place in the 18th century or have like a section in the 18th century and a section in present day mm-hmm. and kind of toggle back between the two. Um, but then, you know, as as I worked, I realized that I wanted I wanted to cover a lot more time. And so the novel went from from that to being something that kind of takes a look at every century between 18th and, and present day. Did you go back to Ghana in any uh, no, part of the writing process? No, I never went after 2009. Um, I got this great research book called The Door of No Return by William St. Clair that takes place entirely in the Cape Coast Castle. And so that was kind of my only... Uh, reference back to that place um but yeah I never got a chance to go back I should do that yeah. now yeah yeah now that you have so much time <laughs> right. with your <laughs> with your uh, authoring career yeah um the narrator seemed to be pretty female centric yeah was that like a conscious decision on your part or is that's a good question I I think like One of the things that made me start writing this book was on the tour of the Cape Coast Castle, the tour guide talked about how the British soldiers who lived in this castle would often marry the local women. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had never heard that before. And I just thought to be a woman at this time, 
in this slave castle, knowing that there are people being sold mm-hmm. un- underneath you has got to be like just something worth writing about. And yeah. so, and so I think it always started with women for me in that way. Um, I wanted to, to get that perspective. I just got out of the chapter where you meet Essie and mm-hmm. she's like in the dungeon. Yeah. And a thing that I thought was a really beautiful detail was her and her friend yeah. that she asked her to tell her stories all the time. Yeah. I don't even know if that's a like question. It's really like, I was like, it felt like such a like, it felt like a very feminine detail. Do you right. know what I mean? This right. idea that like, two women would sort of mm-hmm. bond and they would have a very like nurturing relationship with each other that we yeah. would be based in this sort of like oral. Yeah, uh, totally. I mean, I think you have to think about what what they would do to get through it mm-hmm. and, and thinking about what I do to get through any difficult thing, which my difficult things are like, you know, so small in comparison to mm-hmm. being sold into slavery. But a lot of what I do is just talk to my girlfriends. And yeah. so that felt organic to me for her to have made a friend and have somebody to to talk to about about this really difficult part of their lives. Has it always been like long form prose stuff for you? Like you were never like maybe I'll just like write a poem or whatever. Um- no, I, I started writing at a very young age. I was one of those kids that was, like, obsessed with reading Rainbow, the television yeah, show. and just I love like, that show. Yeah, I just loved reading. Um, and, and reading and writing went hand in hand pretty early on for me, so I always knew I wanted to write fiction. And I kind of thought I didn't like poetry until I had a really great poetry mm-hmm. teacher, Not which is – which is the way these things go, I think. Um, and so in college, I was like, oh, I'm going to revamp myself. I'm just going to be a poet. And so <laughs> I wrote I wrote a lot of poetry in college, a lot of shitty poetry in college. <laughs> and then um, and then I wrote some plays also. I was like, maybe I'm a playwright. Um, but ultimately, I think fiction was, was, you know, my first love. And the thing that I really wanted to, to go back to was prose. So I kind of knew that I would circle back eventually. That's it's so fascinating because like I grew up like reading Voracious Reader like yeah. started reading really young yeah and I generally skipped like YA because I was really like I want adult books like I right, want books right. you know what I mean mm-hmm. and but for me like there was never an associative uh I never read a book and thought well I could write one like I, yeah. it was never it never came to me that I would yeah. Could be a writer, and I don't. I think it's probably just because I don't have. Yeah, the I don't. I don't know that. what what flips the switch for some people yeah. because I know lots of people who love reading and have always loved reading, and they have never had a single desire to to write. Um, yeah. I remember, I think I was like seven, and speaking of Reading Rainbow, Mm -hmm. they had the Reading Rainbow Young Writers and Illustrators competition, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to enter, and I wrote this story called Just Me and My Dog, and I remember sitting with my dad on his typewriter and like kind of banging it out, (laughs) and that was the first thing that I did, and yeah, so I think very quickly for me, it was like I wanted to see if I could do what what these people were doing. And I read a ton of YA. I, yeah. I was one of those. In middle school, I was reading so much YA. I went from a weird – I was like, let me read 800 Babysitter's Club books. Yeah. <laughs> but then let me also just like jump into some – you know, someone gave me like Catcher in the Rye. Right. Or like, I read – I mean – is the, do we consider The Hobbit YA? I don't know. I don't think so, though I think a lot of people read it yeah. at that age. Like, I read it in middle school. I yeah, think. I read it quite young. My yeah. dad gave it to me. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think YA is marketed very different now. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
yeah, I really dove sort of, I, yeah, it was like Babysitter's Club and then it was just like full blown. I was in the like just grown up fiction yeah. section of a bookstore yeah. trying to find My what I school wanted. had this thing called Accelerated Reader, which I don't know if they do that here, but they assign points to every book mm-hmm. and then you take a test after mm-hmm. you finish the book. And you're only supposed to get like, you know, 20 points a semester or mm-hmm. something was your requirement. And of course, I was the like, mm-hmm. you know, overachieving child who wanted to get like a million points by the end of the year. Yeah. And so that was kind of the beginning of me reading books that were a little too, a little too past my, yeah. my age. Um, so I, I think I read Gone with the Wind um, in eighth grade because it was worth 200 points <laughs> and I wanted to get it. And I hated it so much that I threw it against the wall when I finished it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think there was a lot of YA, but there was also a lot of like, uh, you know, overreaching from yeah. my, from my age. Yeah. We had a similar, we had books that were like called like the red maple books and they okay. were like 10 of them. And if you could read them all, I don't know, they won some sort of award at then. I'm not quite sure how it worked, but anyways, yeah. yeah, I always wanted to be the one who read them all, who read them yep. all first. Yep. Yeah. That, I was that kind of child. Yeah. Uh, me too. <laughs> to the chagrin of all my classmates. Right, exactly. The annoying child to yeah. everyone else. They but. were like, Lauren, we get it. You read the fucking book. Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. that, that's why I think I loved getting an English degree because it was mm-hmm. like, everyone read the book and then everyone was forced yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. Which I was like, wow, this is like the the dictator book club that I've always wanted right. to be in. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, no, it's rarefied air once you kind of weed out all the people who mm-hmm. just never cared about reading. Yeah. Um, which is a lot, you know, a lot of people don't don't read, don't pick up books. And, yeah. um, but I think I realized at an early age that book people were my people. Mm-hmm. So it's always nice when you when you get to, to be around them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think on my English degree probably is one of the, like, most luxurious times of my life. Yeah. Right? Because it was yeah. like, uh, there's no job that you can have where mm-hmm. someone's like, read this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to come and have a bunch of talks about it. Yeah. We're going to get some historical context. Right. We're going to get some, like, theory context. Right. And then you get to write a paper on it, like, about whatever you want, really. Yeah. Like, what? Jo- that's not a job that's not that you a can job. have. Even if you end up as a professor, that's not a job. That's yeah. not your job. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wish. Yeah. God. <laughs> if I was I would say if I was a if I somehow became independently wealthy, I'd go back. I'd go back and get another English degree. Yeah, totally. I would too. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they do this to you in America. You guys have a very like strong sense of your own literature, I think. Mm, Here yeah. they're like you got to take seven courses about British literature. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, man, I love the romantics as much as the next person. But yeah. I think, like, people are currently writing books in Canada that maybe right. we could read, you know? Yeah. No, they do They do make you read a lot of British literature, even in America, in American schools. Um, but they do, I think, have a stronger sense of, like, the American canon. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, people you have to read. Yeah, because I think even I took an American lit course. Mm -hmm. I definitely took an American lit course when I was in a Canadian university. Yeah. But I never once, and I wasn't required to take a Canadian lit course. Huh, that's so funny. Which is, like, weird, right? Yeah, yeah, that is strange. You would think. You would. We're like, British, we got it covered. The Commonwealth, (laughs) we're doing it. Yeah. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Um, Have you had a chance to, like, are you reading? I know you're, like on tour is it like a facilitating you reading books um or? i have been reading i i just finished a brief history of seven killings by marlon james yo it's i just intense <laughs> i just was on 
I'm a comedian, uh-huh. and I was just on a bit of a road trip to do a show at, at a city a couple hours outside of here. Yeah. I went with one of my friends who's a comedian who loves to read, yeah. and he was like, have you heard of this book? You would yeah. fucking love it. Because yeah. I know who Marlon totally. James is, but I was like, I hadn't heard of that book. It's so great. It's just like the most ambitious, crazy, just like intensely violent and sexual, and like just, it's great. It's great. Sounds like... A James Elroy novel about Bob Marley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some of that for yeah. sure. Yeah. And then I, I'm like halfway through Fates and Furies right now and really, really liking that as well. Cool. Yeah. I, I remember when I was a kid, I like, you know, it was like a big deal to get a library card. My family moved around a lot. And so whenever we got to a new place, my dad would take us to get a library card. Um, and I remember moving to Alabama and we went to the library and the woman was telling me, you know, okay, you have two weeks to bring these books back. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, who needs two weeks to read a book? Yeah. <laughs> I, I need eight like, hours. Yeah, you I, know like, what I, mean? I was like, what? And now I'm lucky if I make it through a book in like a month. So. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being a kid, yeah, and sitting, if I had a Saturday to myself where no one was going to bug me, mm-hmm. you could not pull me out of, I'd be in bed. Like, yeah. with a, but I remember reading like, you know, four or 500 pages, page books, just I'd blow through me them. Too. And now, I don't know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> adulthood fucks us all, really. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's the rat race of life. <laughs> yeah, man, they don't want you to sit around and read books all day. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, point, I'm pointing to Big Brother. Uh, you can't see me, but I'm gesturing to Big Brother for sure. I used to love singing. I was like in acapella groups and church choir and all of that. And so oh, really in another life, I think I would have ended up being a singer. Um, though it's harder. I, I realize that you don't really get that many opportunities to sing as you get older. Like after you leave school, there isn't like a choir you can join unless you're like trying to do a band, mm-hmm. um, which band. maybe I will. Yeah, yeah a choir <laughs> band. Um, but yeah, so I love singing and um, trying to get better at cooking. Uh, we'll see. Uh, my boyfriend recently got me a six-week class for ceramics, so oh. I'm, like, just at the beginning of my ceramic skills. Oh, man. Um, which is super fun. But, yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing to occupy my time lately. That's good. Ceramics is so cool and, yeah. like, such a weird and interesting medium. Yeah. Is, like, ceramics you want to, like, sculpt or do you want to make, like, usable stuff? I want to make usable stuff. I yeah. want to make, like, several bowls nice. and some mugs and do they teach you so it'll be like the sculpting and then you get to like glaze it yeah I think it's the whole the whole shebang so that's cool excited although I was the we've only had one class so I'm talking like I'm (laughs) I'm a savant but (laughs) (laughs) but I immediately like fucked up the thing that I was making and (laughs) destroyed it so I'm gonna have to (laughs) to really like actually learn the basics One of my best friends, her mom, took a bunch of, like, pottery and ceramics courses, and she has a bunch of cool-ass, like, dishes. Yeah. When I lived with my best friend, like, her mom would constantly be sending us, like, oh, I just don't use this thing that I made anymore. And she's also, like, a high-powered businesswoman who Uh just would be like, look at these beautiful things that I made. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's... Cool. Yeah. I just, I'd been saying for a while that it'd be nice to like make something with your hands, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't feel like, like writing is, is awesome, but it doesn't like, you know, once you've finished it, it lives on your computer, then mm-hmm. it lives on, you know, on yeah. this 
on, in this book form, but I really wanted to try like woodworking or jewelry making or just mm-hmm. something that afterwards you feel like I have something that I can use. So Yeah, that's so fascinating. I think that's actually like from a lot of people I know that make art that's like sort of more like ephemeral. I don't know if ephemeral is the right word because yeah. like a book is a thing at the end. Right. But like you don't like bind and stitch the book, yeah, right? Exactly. Like there's a disconnect exactly. from that process. Yeah. It's because I do think a lot of like writers and yeah, people that I know that do that kind of mm-hmm. art are like so interested in art that's more tactile. Yeah. I don't know. Does it feel more real? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it feels more real or just like it's occupying a different space of your brain. So mm-hmm. you feel like you get to to learn more mm-hmm. um, or just, you know, kind of expand, expand your possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also like sort of a naturally fidgety person, mm-hmm. but I also have no hand-eye coordination. So <laughs> I knit. That's what I do. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, but that's something I can do while like doing something else, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But that's great. That is, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, you, at the end of it, you get something that you, yeah. you can use, that you can I have. I mean, call me in five years when I finish the knitting project that I'm working <laughs> I on. I will. <laughs> that I'm already five years <laughs> in on. So. What is this project? Well, I had a bunch of, like, cool yarn that Mm -hmm. I found in various places. Uh, And then I wanted to knit myself, like, a huge lap blanket slash shawl. So it's actually so easy. Like, I'm a real dilettante about knitting. Uh Um, But because the scope of it's so big, it's, like, doing three rows, which feels like you've knit, like, for a million years. You're like, (laughs) it's this much. Yeah. And yeah. it's super long. It's got to be five feet by now. But I'm like, it's not long enough. <laughs> That's um, great. I'm sure it'll be fabulous when you finish it. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be 90. Singing is something you can't do outside of school, it feels like. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I, like, grew up in the church, so I, like, you know, experienced singing in that way, like, Mm -hmm. church choir and, you know, worship team and all of Mm -hmm. that stuff. And then, you know, once I became a lapsed Christian, there's not not space for that either. Um, Both of my parents are sort of, like, agnostic, but, like, their parents are both, like, we're both quite religious, like, mm -hmm. on both sides. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, what I, like, loved about going to church was... Everyone had to get up and sing together. Yeah, it's the best part. It's like, I think it's like what brings a lot of people to religion is Mm -hmm. the fact that you get to like once a week, you get to sing with this group of people. And there aren't really that many spaces that that that's true after you leave the church or leave school or whatever it is. There's like an interesting thing. There's, I think there's only one in Toronto, but there is an adult choir in Toronto. Oh, nice. You can like join. It's very like, they'll sing like pop covers or whatever. Right. Which, I mean, I don't, I think. It would be fun to just sing. I don't know if I have any interest in performing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though I don't come from a religious family, we were definitely like, I was in church choirs of like churches that like <laughs> no one in my family was associated right. with. I was in a Mennonite church choir for a long time. Oh, Not wow. a Mennonite. <laughs> Not at all. That's so funny. But great. Yeah. 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 I think really the, on- the only place I get to sing now is karaoke. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is fun. And But you know what? Fun. I feel like people get mad when you're like good at singing and you they do, do. people don't love a good karaoke singer that is like yeah it's the saddest thing when you go to like a karaoke place and someone's got a 
freaking gorgeous voice. And you're like, yeah. oh my God, are you just here every week? Like, I'm so bummed out about art. You know what I mean? But it's sad for that person too, because yeah. you know they're doing it because of this problem of yeah. not having a place to sing. And so, yeah. 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 But people get salty. They're like, okay, we get it. Like, mm-hmm. you know how to sing. And you're mm-hmm. like, I, this is just how it yeah. sounds when my beautiful voice escapes my mouth. Right. <laughs> I just have to sing Adele once a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your go to karaoke song? Um, I really like Killing Me Softly, the Fugees. Mm-hmm. The Fugees, not the Roberta not Flack. Not the Roberta Flack, always the Fugees. I don't know. Lauren Hill was a big obsession of mine yeah. when I was a child. I think, like, if you are within a certain age bracket, like, the miseducation of Lauren Hill is a oh, formative huge. album. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the album that meant the most to me was the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Yeah, I'm like a fucking white girl from the sticks and like I got that album when I was 12 and I was like what the fuck is this you know what I mean yeah she's a bit transcendent when she wants to be totally in a league of her own I think yeah yeah Yeah, that record like I listen to it now and I'm like a hundred percent still one of probably my top 10 favorite albums still great absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. poor Lauren I know (laughs) yeah I don't know (laughs) if she's still in jail or what the Lauren Hill deal is. I but. think she must, she was only in for like four months or so. Oh, okay. It was a quick It was stint. very quick because it was just tax evasion yeah. stuff, right? right? Like, right. I can barely do my taxes now. I can't imagine oh. what it would be like to be a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, my dad has done my taxes for far too long. Mm-hmm. So My dad yeah. did mine till I was about your age. And then mm-hmm. I once just showed up at his house and was like, well, here's my T4. And whatever. <laughs> and he was like. Yeah. Ooh, last time I checked, you're an adult now. And yeah. I was like, no, I'm not. I know. I'm not. I'm in that exact place right now. My dad was like, I think it's time for you to, you yeah. know, be on your own. I was like, He's like, you got a yeah. book deal. Do your own taxes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Fine. Okay, wait. I'm going to take it back to your book for a second. Okay. I'm always so fascinated when people have bidding wars over books. Yeah. What did it feel like to be on the other end of that bidding war? I mean, there's nothing in my life, I think, that has ever compared to that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been saying to my boyfriend earlier that day, I was just kind of like, I hope it makes enough money that I can pay off all my student loans. That was like all of my expectations. Yeah. Um, And it just got like, you know, so much bigger than I could have ever dreamed. Yeah. that's so yeah, crazy. Like it's wild. The lit agent I worked for, like, mm-hmm. it was a big effing deal to get. I think in the time that I'd worked there and in his whole career, he'd gotten, like, under five debut authors, like, a good fucking sum of yeah. And it was, like. It's a little scary because it feels like the pressure is on in a way, you know? Like, everything is, like, measured against whether or not you deserved to have that bidding war happen. Yeah. And so I hope you're reading the book, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's um, the other thing because I feel sometimes yeah. it gets this thing. You're like, have any of you fucking read it? Yeah. Or are you all just like stay? You all just like – because sometimes like in publishing it gets to a point where you're like, I can't fucking read another book like mm-hmm. for work. like yeah. I know people who worked in publishing were like, oh, I can't read for pleasure. And I'm like, well, that's oh. why I had to get out, you know? Yeah, that would it's, be so sad to me. I know. It's like devastating. Yeah. Do you know how Ta-Nehisi Coates got a hold of it? I'm oh sure you're God. like. Oh, my God. That was the wildest thing that's, oh, my God. I, like, I had no idea that he even had the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never met him. I was a huge fan. Mm-hmm. I'd been reading um, his Atlantic pieces since since college. And the short answer is no. I was sitting in bed and 
one of my boyfriend's friends texted him and my boyfriend just turned to me and was like, you're about to lose your mind. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I like couldn't even begin to guess what he was going to say. And then he showed me all of Ta-Nehisi Coates's tweets. Yeah. Um, he was basically like live tweeting his reading experience, yeah. which was so, so cool for me to see. Is your boyfriend a writer? I wonder he if is. he's a... Okay. Yeah. Right. We yeah. met at Iowa. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. We're one of those couples. But he's not like <laughs> salty about you having this incredible... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he's like totally thrilled. It's been, you know, I think we. I, I was one of the first of my classmates to, to have a book come out. So I think it's cool for everyone to, to see that it's possible yeah. to make it on the other side of this thing. Um, yeah. So he's been he's been great. Totally supportive. And does he write uh, fiction as well? Yeah, he does. Cool. He does, yeah. Um, and do you guys, like, read each other's work? You know, we never did when we were at Iowa. Um, we never had a class together or a workshop together. Yeah. We had another class together. But we didn't read each other's work until after um, we graduated. So he read a draft of my novel and gave me, like, absolutely killer notes. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then I, I've read a draft of his. And so now we're kind of just starting to, to do that. But it's scary a little. It's mm-hmm. like really intimate. And you feel like you're, you know, you're seeing the life of your partner's mind in a way that you that you don't get to if you're mm-hmm. not in, in this kind of situation where you both have the same job. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to see to see all the things that he's been like thinking about and obsessed over that I had no idea were like going on in his head. And it's nice too because like I feel like it would be easy to get defensive. Mm-hmm. No, that period stays there. What do you know, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then I don't know. It's like also this person knows you better than than anyone else and kind of knows like what you what you want to be doing, like what you want to, the book to be. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like in that way it's easier not to impose like their ideas mm-hmm. onto it because they get you. Yeah. Um, or that's the best case scenario. I'm yeah. sure that's not true for every couple. But in, in my case it was like like all of the notes that he gave me were so spot on. Like, And even if I was like resistant to one at first, like I don't know if I sat on it for like five you know, five minutes, five days, whatever. I was like, oh, you're exactly right. And this is exactly what I wanted wanted to do. That's cool. Yeah. I'm so interested in, like, the home dynamics of that. Y'all yeah. work from home. Do you guys have, like, a shared office space? No, or? we don't. At, and when we lived in Iowa, like, we couldn't be in the same room together mm-hmm. even. So, <laughs> like, you would work on the porch and I would work on the kitchen table. Um, and now uh, he works in the kitchen and I work in the bedroom. So, <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't work together too well, but but we have our own space. Well, that's so interesting. Because to me, it's like working together you, when you just be sitting in silence. Like, yeah, tapping. you would think, but I don't know. There's something about like hearing somebody else, yeah. <laughs> somebody else's keys going that just makes you feel like, oh, <laughs> am I doing enough? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you've typed three pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I personally have done three Google searches. Yes. <laughs> Man, all the best of luck to you. Oh, Again, thank you. I like I'm your book is brilliant so far. Like thank I can't you. I've been telling everyone that I know about it and then showing them the book, but then grabbing it back out of the <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is the I can't get another one of these. Like yeah. you can't borrow it, like you can't have it, like it's mine. Oh, thank <laughs> um, you. 
I'm stoked to see what else you're going to write because this is some crazy shit for a debut novel. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited about all that's to come. Yeah, man, you should be. Yeah. Big things, yeah. right? Or big things, as Drake would say. Big rings, as Drake would say. <laughs> you just cut that part out. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening this week. As always, you're listening to Cavern of Secrets, a podcast about extraordinary women. Thank you again so much to Yah for coming through. Wonderful guest, wonderful woman, wonderful writer. Cavern of Secrets is brought to you by Hazlitt. It's hosted, again, by me, Lauren Mitchell. Our theme music was made by Bianca Giulione. Cavern is produced by my dear friend Anshman Idamsetti. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud. We are literally everywhere on the internet. Holy shit, it's crazy. You can also find us on our website www.cavernofsecrets.com It's a Debt Piff exclusive. If you like us, if you like what we're doing, if you could rate us on iTunes, maybe leave a nice comment, like, Lauren, you're so beautiful and wonderful. That's, like, super helpful. It helps people find us. It's super important. And one more time, in case you forgot my name, it's Lauren Mitchell. Thank you so much for listening. 